everybody, Anthony Castros and Brian Brush here to talk to you today about Command. We're excited to be coming to you live from the FDIC 2023 show floor. It's good to see you, my brother. It's good to see you too, man. This is this is awesome. I mean, just the uh, studio set up here, everybody's showing up, uh, went to the hot classes. I mean, it just has a very, very high energy right now, a really yeah. good feel. It's just, it's exciting. I mean, it's FDIC 23. Let's go. It's awesome. Yeah. A lot of energy in the room, in the in the town, in the city. And we haven't even really started the official show until tomorrow morning when the, the official uh, opening ceremony starts. And I happen to know both of the keynoters this year, and one of them happens to be sitting right next to me. So tell me, brother, what the what it's been like this past year that you've been preparing and thinking about this and getting ready. Man, I, uh, you know, I, I, I still... It's it's still unreal to me. It just it's just amazing that uh, you know I think you were probably a part of the conversation almost two years ago when I was asked to do it. Yeah, I asked them. I told them you probably shouldn't do it, <laughs> um, but they didn't listen to me. So, uh, oh, sorry. So yeah. yeah, but despite my best efforts, you were still keynoting. It's it's been a long time coming, and uh, and he you know Bobby had asked me, and uh, I kind of always thought, well, he's going to definitely change his mind at some point, yeah. but he stuck with it. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm really, really proud to, uh, to be here, uh, on his blessing and on at his request. And I, I'm hopefully going to make him proud and make the fire service proud on Thursday morning. Uh, I got to do a rehearsal today and it was very emotional to be up there and, 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 and know what that stage means. And, just be a part of uh, about some great fire service history. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of you that you're doing it and uh, it's, it's uh, appropriate that you're doing it, especially right now as, as the fire service is, I would say kind of getting back to the victim. And I'm happy to see that and say that. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, if you look at the cover of this issue um, it's, they're making a grab and um, that's what a lot of the, classes and workshops and hot training is this week and certainly what our article is about and what our our book's going to be emphasizing mm -hmm. and um it was 10 years ago today that or tomorrow i guess that i did my keynote so yeah so the torch is being passed and i think it's pretty exciting um can you give us a little sneak peek on what it's about just a well, little, little tiny little yeah i mean i i think that's what it's that's what it is about it's about getting back to to mission and uh you know, we've, we've certainly had a lot of distractions over the last few years in the fire service. We've been tasked with a lot of things. We've been, uh, been forced to be isolated. And, uh, um, you know, I, I had to sit out last year at FDIC because of a broken ankle. So um, I just really want to emphasize us, us getting together, working together and, uh, and being there for others. So it's um, it, it's it's going to be a mission focused and a, and a positive mindset and a, an outcome focused. Uh, presentation yeah. just as much as you know our messages and in, in the classes that we do is to um you know start start with success yeah so. you know i i i uh, that that broken ankle that you suffered last year it was a setback i can't remember was that from a heroic rescue out of a window was it helping with the veis was it did you fall off a ladder as you were saving a family could you tell our listeners what that was i forget well this is uh this is your way of 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 taking a jab at the young guy you know normally i'm making I just, old I jokes yeah old, but yeah. i was walking across a parking lot and uh slipped on some ice and uh suffered a major broken ankle it took me out for seven months so it was major, uh, it, it was, was a major it was broken terrible it was seven months of majority yeah two days before you had come into our department yes. to do uh the calm the chaos yep. he's coming into town two days later and i'm i, I didn't even have a a cast or surgery at the time. No, you, came to you were visit. still yeah. hobbling. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for making that happen. That was a big lift. And that, that particular class was fantastic. We did Oklahoma city, yeah. Midwest city, a bunch of folks from around the country came to that class. Um, and we proceeded with a train, the trainer, Bobby Halton was there. Yep. Uh, it was a great time uh, having him there as everybody who knows Bobby knows he doesn't hold his opinions to himself. And uh, if you ever ask Bobby for a compliment and you're kind of like, hey, what'd you think of the training? He's ever going to go, gosh, it was fantastic. Go, well, you know, I could see a few things you could fix or train or change <laughs> or I would do differently. But other than that, it was OK. Yeah. So but no, he was great. Um, he was supportive. Loved having him there. Um, he and I talked about incident command for years. Um, it was a blessing to have him as a mentor and a friend. 
Um, we're going to be honoring him uh, tomorrow night mm-hmm. uh, at five o'clock. So if you're at FDIC, or you hear this, or you're going to be around uh, or if you can tune in. Um, it's going to be great. His family will be here. And that's going to be epic. And, I see. Just um, saw the boys in the speaker ready room. Yeah. yeah. So they're they're already in town. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Um, we had a, a small service uh, that was the family hosted a small service uh, for him when he passed, and, and we went to Oklahoma for that. And uh, it was an honor to be uh, included in that. And uh, his uh, legacy will carry on. And he was all about the victim, and that's what we we try and carry that on with our training and curriculum. And um, two things I think we're going to talk about in this show is one is the fact that we have an article in this particular month's uh, edition of fire engineering and it's at the show edition. So it's all over the show. Um, and it is uh, about the NIOSH five and being ahead of it and being proactive instead of just reactive and looking at a NIOSH uh, line of duty death report. But how can we use the NIOSH five to be better going into our next fire? Um, so that's one thing we're going to talk about. The other big news is a year from now, God willing, we are going to be uh, launching a brand new uh, command book. It's going to be called Mastering Fire Ground Command, Calm the Chaos, uh, just like the video series that we did back in 2011 with Fire Engineering. Brian uh, convinced me to write this book, and so I convinced him to help me write it. So we're going to talk more about that. Let's start with the article. Why don't you kind of tell the viewers what we're and listeners what we're talking about? Well, you know, uh, many people are familiar with the NIOSH-5, the, uh, the five... Uh, causal factors of, uh, of line of duty deaths that uh, NIOSH has kind of distilled down out of all the reports. These are the, the top five uh, that pop up in the reports. Um, but it's kind of a different take on it as far as the article goes. And, and you know, Chief, you can speak to the NIOSH 5 to, to kind of start. But really, it, it, it gets back to like what you're talking about, shifting from the firefighters and life safety to life saving. And I think, um, let's camp on that for a minute. Okay. That's important. Well, you know, we too, I think there's too much confusion and it's, it's unfortunate. There should be, there should never be confusion about what we exist for and and what our core mission top priority is, but there is, you know, there's confusion. If I say what's our number one priority, incident priority, you will hear life safety, but, uh, safety. S A F E T Y. The trouble is pre-event, so we, we should be worried about safety, try to make things as safe as possible, but incident priorities must be life-saving. We have to put uh, life-saving, S-A-V-I-N-G, first. Did you notice that's a different word? It's a different word. <laughs> different. Life safety is about us. Life-saving is about them. And uh, we can certainly, you know, once we check certain boxes and move on, but that's, that's really what it's about. NIOSH 5, too often, because it's negative things that contribute to a line of duty death. We focus on those negative things and avoiding those negative things, encountering those things and trying to keep ourselves more safe. But if we flip the script on it and we, we use them as, as their counters, say it's poor communications causes all these problems. Well, then let's focus proactively on having a good communication model and common terminology and these types of things. Then that will make us more successful in saving lives Yes, Brian, it will. And secondary also, you know, make ourselves safer. So, yeah, um, you know, it's a win win, right? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. And, and do you think um, as we talk, one of the things that comes up and I do you get the sense sometimes when we're teaching or talking to folks that it's like there's it's mutually exclusive, like, well, either you're for firefighter safety or civilian lives that you can't have both. And that's the sense I get yeah. from some people, not everybody. But some people give this impression, well, what about us? It's like, well, no kidding. Yeah. But uh, we have a job to do. Yeah. And we swore an oath. Yeah. And um, that job can be dangerous. And um, we're not supposed to take unnecessary stupid risks. Yeah. We should be smart, but it requires risk. It requires, you know, doing stuff to have an outcome. And um, have you gotten that sense that some people think it's one or the other? I do. You know, and that's that's what's so difficult with it is, is it is an emotional topic, you know, but I, I truly believe in, in all the information you, you find, we are a safer fire service. You know, we, we, we are probably the safest we've ever been. Um, you know, career fire departments have extremely low line of duty death numbers, you know, so because we're trained, we're equipped, we have standards, we have education, all these things are making us safer every day. Um, but what we need to be prepared for is, is to understand that, um, that can't outpace our willingness to serve the citizens. And, yeah. and at some point 
there, there is going to be a concern. Firefighters, you guys are safer every day. Civilians are still dying in, in house fires as a, at a rate of, you know, eight per thousand, you know, so uh, that is, you know, that's something we need to be aware of. We need to make sure that we are messaging to our public and, and messaging to our firefighters that, that when, when you're in service, others are ahead of you. Um, you know, we'll do the best to take care of you, but just like we can't control your, your sleep at the station, you know, we can't control your safety in fire conditions. We can do our best to provide you the best environment for it, but yeah. there's no guarantees in, in what we do. There's no guarantees in life. No. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things that, um, that you talk about, we talk about in our class is if you look at the numbers, which what I love about the fire service in the past 10 years, we're getting more about analytics mm-hmm. a- as well as experience which is why i think we're a great team is that your 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 gift is analytics and analyzing vast amounts of data um that makes me just roll my eyes back and take a nap um whereas i was blessed to have been in a busy system as a battalion chief for 13 years and got a lot of sets and reps in um and when of course you're getting a lot of fires too i don't know i think you might have an arsonist on the (laughs) payroll but the point is is i think it's a great we both kind of come at it from naturally different perspectives and one of the things that got Brian and I back together, we had met many, many years ago, but I read his article in Fire Engineering a few years ago, uh, two or three at the most, and I was just loved what he was getting from the Firefighter Rescue Survey data. And I reached out to him because I had him in my phone from a previous meeting. And we kind of hit it off and it's like, you know what, maybe God brought us back together to do some work. And so that's why we're doing these classes together. We read, read these articles together. And that's why we're doing a class together this week um, on civilian rescue. Could you kind of dive a little deeper into what we're going to talk about statistically? Yeah. I mean, in, I think what, what, what is so great about what's going on and be it, uh, you know, your command approach for the rescue, your, 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 your victim first life saving, uh, aggressive command model, um, you know, we talked about this. I mean, you, you, you felt passionately about it. You, you believed in it a hundred percent. You had the experience to, to support it. Um, but it's almost like we're, we're always seeking some type of true stamp of validation. Yeah, and that's what yeah. this data, data brings, you yeah. know, when we, when we're looking exactly. at it and, and you see the difference in survival rates when a rescue is executed in the first six minutes of a scene yeah. uh, versus 10 minutes into the scene. Now it, it's like, okay, we, I want to be aggressive and I believe it supports this thing, but now we can say, this is it. You know, the golden hour for trauma. Exactly. We, we've, we've lived on that for, for, for decades. Yep. Uh, now we know the fire ground is, is, is that six to eight minute range, yep. which is interesting. And going back to safety, when I would, if I were to walk around this halls and I'd say, Hey, what's a good fire ground clock. I'd say 80% of the guys would be like 10 minutes lightweight construction. It just rolls off their tongue because for years and years and years, we've been told, yep. hey, 10 minutes of lightweight construction, trust roofs, that type of stuff. Exactly. That is a clock for us. Right. We didn't have that victim clock. You know, now we know when, from the air brake set, we, we have to be on our game, cooling, compartmentalizing, you know, any intervention that we can to buy more time for the victim uh, because we, we've got six, six to eight minutes, yeah. you know, they are surviving much longer after that. They are surviving well-involved structure fires, but, uh, On that average. should be our goal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The average and, and the survivability. Yeah. You can get them out of the building, but that doesn't mean they're going to survive. Yeah. So the survivability walking out of the hospital, which that's points on the board. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's not a, that's not a flag, take the ball back kind of thing. It's an actual rescue six to eight minutes. And I, I love that, that you and your guys from firefighter rescue survey have worked on that because it's given me the answer to that burning question. Yeah. What is the magic amount of time? I remember before I met you or, yeah. so, or reacquainted myself with you, it was a question that was haunting me. What is the magic time? It's not an hour. God knows. Yeah. Um, but what's funny is that data, if you, if you look at the data um, from firefighter rescue survey and you look at the El Camino fire, yeah, the data and the, and the experience match perfectly. Yep. Um, JT Thomas was rescued on the gurney four and a half minutes from arrival from break set. That is, you know, within yeah. the six to eight minutes, he was rescued using VES. Yep. That's the number the one. The highest survivability. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, he was found pre-knockdown yep. before the fire was completely knocked down. That's one of the factors. Um, and he was found by a crew without a hose line. Yeah. So all the things that are, are proving out, yeah. yeah, yeah, happened before firefighter rescue survey, and so um, it's really, it's really, uh, 
it supports the success. You know, we're we're not, and that's what we need to do is to say, like, why are we successful in these situations? And it's, it's, it's exciting to see that, but beyond our stuff, you know, what, what I love and being the nerd, it's like, if we can triangulate things, that's, that's my favorite. If we, if, if you can triangulate things, you can find three different sources and, and, and find their overlap. So your experience, you know, for example, El Camino, but but that fire has been repeated across the country. Many repeated many ways. times. Yeah. Then the firefighter rescue survey data of the survivability um, in these situations, the timelines, this. And then you go to the latest UL uh, study on coordinated fire attack. Yeah. And they're show, they're, they have repeatedly said search and rescue. Your greatest success in coordinated fire attack and victim removal is to have them be happening simultaneously you know like search on a hose line is not as effective in either capacity so fire attack and rescue and with that you know you pitched me a question now i'll pitch you back a question um you know it isn't just those aggressive tactics it is aggressive command a a, a rescue is an incident within an incident it it requires resources to execute it triage treatment transport to really be successful in the outcome so Getting dispatched to those calls and, you know, that was our previous article, you know, is, is, is that, uh, can you talk a little bit, Chief, about having that preloading mindset of dispatch to victims trap? We, you as an IC, as a strategic person are thinking, I'm setting up two incidents. Here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank mm-hmm. you. So basically when, when you look at modern incident command, um, it has to be as sophisticated as fire ground tactics like fire attack and water mapping and all the UNS stuff we're seeing, we need to pay that same attention on modern incident command. And one of the things we need to think about is that incident command now is a team sport. Yep. It is no longer a single individual, even with a, a, tech, a, te- a technician next to him or her. That's not really incident command. That's kind of incident observation. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so incident assistance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, there, and there is no more command and control. That that was a misnomer. It's command and coordination. Um, coordination with your other um, incident management team members. And so if you look at this as a team sport, it changes the whole dynamic where where I, as the battalion chief, I relied on my company officers. I trained my company officers. I was far more engaged. My generation of battalion chiefs, we are far more engaged with our company officers as tacticians and teaching them how to be tacticians and own a piece of the incident pie mm-hmm. so that we can decentralize rapidly. Cause the only way to descent or, or the only way to outpace an incident is to decentralize and out and, and flank it. Yeah. Um, and that's through divisions and groups and decentralization. So <clears throat> we don't have to reinvent the wheel every single incident. Yeah. We can know that on a house fire, given these conditions, here's the template or the play we're going to run yeah. from a command standpoint, fire attack, search, ventilation. That's it. And, yeah. and medical, right? Yeah, medical. Yeah. And so if we have a house fire versus an apartment fire versus a commercial fire versus a, um, row houses or whatever, we can actually preload what I call ICS templates. Yeah. And we're going to discuss in our book uh, so that you can train on those and have these pre-planned incident deployment models and command models so that there's no guesswork. There's not a lot of radio traffic. It's rapid fire because... The more the radio traffic, that's a friction point. It's going to slow us down. The more we have to create sophisticated accountability measures, that's going to slow us down. Mm -hmm. The more we centralize command and hold back the troops, that's going to slow us down. And so modern incident command starts way before the incident, and it's a team sport. And I've found that as we teach this around the country, and I certainly had that experience with my battalion at home, is that the officers want that responsibility. They want to take on as company officers that role. Because I'm saying I trust you to be a tactician. I trust you to have multiple crews under you and accomplish the mission in a rapid fashion with maximum trust yeah. and minimal radio traffic. Yeah. And that works wonders. The key is you have to train them. Yeah. But they want it. And I tell, like I told in class yesterday, I don't want, I don't think company officers want to be glorified EMS technicians anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I, I hold a clipboard and I write down the blood pressure and that's about all I do. Um, and maybe I'll have a fire, but even on that fire, I have to ask my, my chief for permission to do my job. Yeah. Um, and so this is more of a military model. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it's, it's really what's needed in the modern environment. And so that's what we've been talking about in our classes. That's what we've been talking yeah. about in the next book. So, yeah. and I think, I mean, you, you're, you're preloading or, or, an, it's really just anticipating what the needs are going to be. I mean, and 
in looking at that tactic. I mean, we, we know working fire, fire attack is going to be a few things. Fire attack is going to be attack. It's going to be backed up and you're going to need a water supply. So yeah. that's the part of it on the search side. You have to view it the same way. We are searching for people. We need to anticipate we're going to find somebody, yeah. you know, so medical is the backup line for search. It, they yeah. have to be together. We have to anticipate like we have a fire attack. We have a backup line in anticipation of them needing help, needing yeah. another line, needing protection, finding fire somewhere else. And then it gets upgraded. So we have search. We have medical there as the secondary for the receiving of that. And then, you know, it. I think it just goes from there. So back to, um, you know, what was, what was the last article command for the known rescue? Yeah. You know, that's that's what we're trying to get at and, and enhance is if a mayday happens on your fire ground, you're going to have a writ group go to work with a writ group supervisor. You're going to have medical going to a house fire. We don't know if we're going to have a mayday. But if the dispatcher gets information that there's victims trapped, it needs to be approached with this is our mayday call right now. Victims trapped exactly. means that there's someone in there and they're trapped. Let's get a supervisor. Let's initiate the actions. Let's supervise and support it. And, and having that, you know, that that administrative support to the work that's being done is, is just critical. Yeah. And I, I use the analogy that, you know, a pitcher is not a pitcher without a catcher. Yeah. Well, a rescue team or crew or group is is not effective without a medical to give them to yeah you don't you know football teams don't spike the football on the five yard line they wait till they actually <laughs> close the deal and go into the end zone and score and it's the same thing you'll see crews come out with a victim on the on the front lawn and i've been in that role i've been in that position and you're you're looking for that medical yeah to give them to and if you don't see them you're just going to lay them down and typically go back in because you think there's another victim yeah the discipline to you know take off all your off all your gear, find the EMS gear. That's such a delay and such a disservice to the victim, who's basically like a fish on the freaking deck of a boat, yeah. sitting there going, yeah, waiting to be intervened uh, upon. Uh, it's critical. So it's it seems like such basic stuff, but the most basic stuff is often the best answer to a problem. And um, just as fire attack and ventilation coordination has yeah. become more sophisticated and more coordinated, so too search and rescue and medical yeah. have to be more sophisticated and coordinated. Yeah. So, and you know, at the incident command level, like you're talking about trusting those company officers, if you have resources working and resources ready, that transition can happen. Like you're saying, without the radio traffic, yep. without the mother, may I, yep. they bring the victim out, either they can transfer directly to that group to start care or they bring that patient out. They're committed to it. We need to now resume the sh search because, yeah. again, back to the data, it's not in the firefighter rescue survey, but the one I did for Oklahoma State. I mean, where there's victims, there's victims. It's plural. There's you know, you one. know, yeah. house fires were with victims were averaging uh, almost two victims per residential fire. Uh, you're averaging apartment fires with victims on average are close to three. Yeah. So. Once again, you're dispatched. You need to use this to anticipate. You talk about analytics in sports. They do it all the time. All the time. You know, they are anticipating yeah. this, Red zone this defense. They're all <laughs> right. this type of stuff. So um, getting dispatched to an apartment fire. We know it's we've known for years. They're high life hazards places. Call them target hazards. Some start additional resources. But it's all for fire. It's not for people. Right. You know, if we're going to an apartment fire with reported victims tracked, there had better be two ambulances coming, minimum. you know, minimum yeah. or your your model. But I yeah. I think that we need to be prepared for the fire ground MCIs. You yeah. know, they are going to be coming more and more frequently. I mean, the Chief Leeb's uh, fire, just an incredible yeah. example of that on, yeah. on, a, on a high scale. But more and more frequently, residential fires um, with with the toxicity of the smoke today, with the the poorly ventilated atmospheres uh we are definitely going to have um multiple victim fires on a regular basis yeah and and you just hit on a word that i wanted to actually speak to which is a good segue is ventilation yeah you know ventilation is has become almost taboo um there's a lot of confusion on ventilation um there's uh over the past 10 years with you on this studies there's a lot of good information and good modeling and so forth um and i think there's overcorrections in some places mm -hmm. I think that happens when you're trying to make change. Sometimes an industry or an organization can overcorrect. Um, and I think that's what happened with ventilation is, you know, some departments are are saying things like, well, we don't, we should never have vertically ventilated. Oh my gosh, why are we doing that? We 
we now know we should never have done that. Well, that's, I, I've heard that recently. That's not a true statement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's like, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. You have to coordinate it more yeah. effectively. Um, I've certainly been on, uh, countless fires where I've had vertical ventilation done effectively. I've also been on a few where the guys should have coordinated better and, and, no. and we needed to fix that. Um, I've also been on the roof myself, cutting holes and being a truck officer, uh, directing it. It does take coordination. One of the problems is, is that the company officer on the truck is not either on the roof or they're on the roof, but they're task focused. Yeah. So they have a hook in their hand and they're, they're, they're louvering and they're punching and they're punching the ceiling or louvering the cut. And instead of listening and having the radio and stepping back, that's the tactical. Yeah. And as we talk about in our classes, the tactical space is where the battle is won or lost. That's where it's won or lost. Yeah. And you can cut a great hole of a roof that's coming down. Yeah. You know, you can you can make a great stretch un- under a roof that's going to kill you. Yeah. Um, so it's not the task level stuff. It's the tactical. It's the mindset. And having that tactical officer on the roof, for example, who can say, whoa, 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 let's wait and let's get, let's hold that cut. Let's hold the punch until we talk to fire attack or to mm-hmm. division. Let's wait on that. Or, or let's just get after because they're obviously making headway. I, I don't want to slow us down. There are steam production everywhere. Let's open this up. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff. And so um, we tend to overcorrect. And so firefighters like to say yes or no or right or wrong or left or right. We make choices and we choose sides on any given topic. Yeah. You know, whatever it is tactically. And we don't have to do that. Yeah. And so ventilation is a critical component of a rescue. Yeah. Of a rescue operation. You have to make it more tenable for the victim. For the firefighters, you have to relieve this smoke and heat and change the atmosphere while searching and rescuing yeah. them, while attacking the fire, yeah. while setting up for medical. Yeah. These are all congruent, simultaneous operations. And that's why we talk about aggressive command and pre-templating that before the incident and teaching your company officers how to talk laterally to each other face-to-face, not on the radio, yeah. but face-to-face to maximize coordination Minimize radio traffic, but maximize communication too. Yeah. So, and that, I mean, so much kind of there to unpack, but I mean that again, if uh, back to the, the data for, uh, informing us, the most recent UL information on residential search is, is just outstanding and, and getting the, the data points from one foot, three foot, five foot lift is life. You know, like lift is life. I mean, I mean, at at three feet, you'd be amazed at the toxicity and the heat levels. And and, I mean, and we comfortably operate at three feet, you know, us us in a a knee walk or or, or a a tripod position. We're at that level. We're we're fully, you know, fully decked out. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Breathing. Yeah. Victims are going to be on the floor. But if that heat level lifts from three feet to five feet, that that makes that environment that much more tenable. So, uh. Yeah. The ventilation is a big deal. I think, you know, we we were, again, kind of getting ahead of ourselves in some way. There was this anti-ventilation movement, you know, yeah. keep it tied up. But a movement, now, it was. You know, there was, and, a, and there that, was riding in the streets. There was a movement. Yeah, that's a, that is that is a good model when we don't have water available. But that's the whole point of the coordinated is is now we're seeing how ventilation and water work together. Once we're flowing water, once we're cooling the environment, once we're applying water to the to the fire, we need to open up so that Got the it. fresh air can be drawn in Got because cooling condenses, gets that lift. You, we will get lift in a hallway if we're cooling surfaces, cooling smoke, cooling gases. So lift can come from a, a hand line. Lift can come from a, a vertical you know, hole. So we, we definitely do want to address ventilation in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, and that's... Good. A lift is life is is huge, and I I love what we talk about. You know, if you can't see, they can't breathe. Yeah, and and even if they're on the floor and there's this much visibility, that's a little life safety area for them. That's a yeah. little refuge area, and you don't get it because you're above them. But but you know, just lifting. Oh, I'm going to rescue this person. Lift them up over my yeah. shoulder or, or bring them up. You could you could be taking them from a tenable space to an untenable yeah uh, space, and and with all the best best of intentions, of course. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about, um, window, a window oriented search a little mm. bit, you know, what the difference is between BES and that, because that's like the newest, latest thing. And it's not really new, but it is. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you look at the UL information, they're using the term window initiated search. And I, at first I was like, really, come on, you know, it's like <laughs> flow path. It's that's a pressure gradient. Do we have to create something? But I, I understand, I really have grown to value, uh, that, that terminology change 
VES is familiar to us. It's been around enough. We know, hey, that's been in our search, you know, but uh, we go in, we enter, we search. And there was some resistance. Well, it needs to be VEIS. We have to isolate. Yeah. But we've now learned, and especially through the firefighter rescue survey data that um, searching that room, but also searching beyond that room, finding victims in hallways, finding victims in the next room from it, the survivability is still really high. You know, if, if we get to that door and there isn't any fire there, there's no reason to close it. We can search and then continue our search from there because we've accessed the area quickly. We now have an area of refuge that we can bring that victim back to, to if we are delayed in getting them out. So I like the concept of window initiated searches. It's just another place that we're starting our search. You know, uh, yeah. when it's when it's at a door, we don't need any other resources. But if we're searching from a window, even a, a one story ranch, sometimes we're going to sure. need a ladder sometimes. Oh, so it just it just prompts you that we're going to need some more um, some more resources there and, and that we're we're searching from hopefully a compartment versus a open atmosphere. So. I like the terminology. I encourage people to kind of start using it. We had a fire just two weeks ago. You can go to uh, Midwest City uh, Fire Department's Facebook page. There's a lessons learned on it. It was a two-story house. Um, fire out the front of the house. They weren't able to make access in the front because it's burning pretty good. So the truck company goes around to the back door, starts their search from there. The chief assigns me to Division Charlie. I'm you know, at the door talking to the truck crew. Have you guys found the stairs yet? No. You guys found anything? Nope. It's all clear. Can't find the stairs. Can't find the stairs. That There was no stairs in this house. <laughs> so the only way to search the second floor was was by window. You know, it wasn't been a search. We were doing a primary on the second floor from mm -hmm. windows. So uh, I, it's just evolution. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm hoping that it's just evolution. You're yeah. either searching from a door or a window or, <coughs> or from me. another unit you well, know like, uh, yeah you guys you know apartment i mean <clears throat> what a what a tremendous lessons learned there that was amazing um when it comes to search and rescue we have to be voracious we have to have this like obsession to get our victim and that means through windows doors walls whatever it takes one of the things we teach is called pincer search i use that tactic or teach that tactic for known victims but unknown location so one or more victims, but you don't know where they are. My husband's inside, but I don't know where he is. You're not going to you're not gonna be successful typically if you just go from one point of origin or, or you go from one anchor point like the front door. We want to be going from the doors, the windows, the sides, whatever we have to. But the key here, obviously, is to put water on the fire, get water on the fire so that we don't blow this thing up, overventilate it, and make it worse. But the fire is obviously easier to find than a victim. <clears throat> like... Vent enter search, there's breach enter search. Yeah. And breach enter search is when you go through a an adjacent wall, like say in an apartment building, where you know that hey, this this unit that's involved um has a mirror floor plan to the one that's not involved that's up against it with a common uh party wall. And that's exactly what Sacramento Metro Fire did um year and a half ago. Amazing job. Um I was I was just so proud of them. It's something we're going to talk about in our book. Um, there's an amazing YouTube uh, video on it if you want to look for it. Was that on uh, the county <clears throat> sheriff's page? Was uh, was a lesson learned in the county sheriff's video, or was that a Sac Metro video? <clears throat> it was a, it was a joint Sacramento Metro and Sacramento County Sheriff production. Yeah. So if you look it up that way, Sacramento County Sheriff, Sacramento Metro Fire on YouTube Rescue, um, you'll find it. And it's about a 45, 50 minute video, which is unbelievable. What happened was is we had a barricaded suspect in a back bathroom. He barricaded himself. He was an estranged father. He had his son hostage. The sheriffs were negotiating with him. And this is all part of the video. Yeah. Um, and in the process, uh, he, thank you, in the process, he barricaded himself in the back bathroom and lit that respective bedroom on fire. So <clears throat> it's well ventilated. Windows were taken out. Uh, the sheriffs had opened the door, so it's got all the oxygen it needs. Yeah. He's barricaded. The fire continues to grow. Meanwhile, there's dozens of sheriff cars in the parking lot of the apartment complex, and one of our engines is parked out there in what they think is a law enforcement assist for you know a potential medical call. Domestic. It's yeah. a domestic. That's you know if, if this goes sideways, they're there for EMS. Well, all, before you know it, we have a well-involved apartment that's now lapping into the second floor, and they get brought in. Um, to their credit, Sacramento County Sheriff identified the, the apartment next door. They identified the bathroom. 
that was the mirror bathroom of the common wall. They already started breaching the drywall. When when the engine came in with their chainsaw and their hooks, and they started opening up quickly. They, they did not hesitate, even though they knew that behind the wall was a barricaded suspect who was armed with at yeah. least a knife, if not a gun. Yeah. Maximum risk, maximum gain. It was the ultimate risk management or risk gain situation. And it was phenomenal. So they went in knowing they could be stabbed at minimum, if not shot. And smoke started wafting out of the hole. So there was enough smoke in the bathroom to render the dad and the little boy unconscious. They were unconscious from CO and hydrogen cyanide. They were in the tub. He had his son in the tub with him. And um, they dove in, got them both out, put them back through the wall because the fire was being attacked from the front and um, saved them both. And they both lived. And, you know, it's not our job to judge. We're not the judge and the jury in that situation. We need to just save their lives and leave it to to the justice system to handle the dad. But they saved that little boy and his dad. And he used it with breach and her search. And, um, you know, BES. Yeah, yeah. And it was phenomenal. And so that's those are the kinds of things that we need to be doing. If we're going to outflank the fire, if we're going to outsmart the fire, if we're going to outpace the fire in the modern environment. so And, you know, it's funny that you you bring that up because I mean, it, what's interesting is to think, well, have you ever considered breaching a wall to make a rescue? And it's like, well, man, maybe I haven't, but (laughs) I would almost guarantee you at some point we've breached a wall in a writ training. Okay. Like I'm stuck in this room, whatever I've got to get out. I'm going to breach wall just the same as there, there's, (laughs) there are so many exercises and evolutions and things that we do attached to writ. Right. You know, if we have a, a, a medically challenged patient, an obese patient or a patient in a tough spot that we just can't get out quickly, the, the rapid intervention is, is just that it's rapid intervention. It shouldn't our air pack shouldn't be solely for firefighter victims. Maybe it's this situation the the tools that we use for extricating firefighters and collapses, all these things, we may find civilians in those situations there. Exactly. We really need to start looking at where those. Uh, good training techniques, those good removal techniques, those good, uh, all those tools we use to save firefighters, we, we really should be um, looking to leverage those as civilian tools too, because we do not want the handcuffs of this is just for firefighters. Right. So many cyano kits were bought by departments right. in the event of right. a firefighter right. down and they're sitting on the chief's buggy and we're pulling out smoke inhalation victims. Mm-hmm. Nothing is us first. Yeah. The citizens have paid for our equipment our training, everything, it's its there for them first. We should eat last. Yeah, we should <laughs> eat last. Yeah, exactly. So. And, and, you know, things like what we talk about classes, victim, victim, victim. You know, we always, we know that mayday, mayday, mayday means we have a firefighter down. There is no doubt on the radio what that means in any fire department in North America. Probably pre-prescribed responses it's, to it. Yeah. It is pre-prescribed responses to it. There's support that, that automatically happens, SOGs, training, and so forth. But when you hear a victim, it's always <laughs> some version of we found a victim, but it sounds like yeah. instead of victim, 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 victim. That should shut everything down so everyone can listen and see what they need. Yeah. You know, where is the victim? What uh, where are we bring them out? Is there more than one victim? What do we need to help us? Um, and again, if we know the victims there ahead of time, we should already have had a rescue supervisor in place yeah. who knows that's happening. And is ready to absorb that victim. And all the way to our dispatch center, they hear mayday, mayday, mayday. In your organization, you probably have cues for dispatch to do certain things. Exactly. We hear victim, 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 dispatch, start another ambulance. Like, let's take those decisions off of the incident commander's plate and yeah. and, and make sure that those right. things are happening. Right. Let's talk about the Nash 5 a little bit from a proactive standpoint. Those of you who've listened to this show, we've been blessed to have this show for many years now. Um and we, we always start with the NIOSH 5. And you all know what that is by now. You should. If you look at the NIOSH reports of line of duty death and you analyze the trend over 30 years, the operational causes that led up to line of duty death surround uh, inadequate risk assessment, uh, insufficient communications, inadequate accountability, um, and not adequate or lack of incident command. And finally, not following SOGs or not having SOGs. So what we did in this article this month is flip it and say, what are the positives if you do those things right? What if you do have excellent size up and risk assessment? What if you do have excellent communications? What if you do have good accountability? How do you develop good incident command ahead of time and have functional, like like the opposite of of the Nash 5, 
um, going in. And really, that's the crux of our curriculum that we teach is how to get there. And so in our article, we, we show several examples of fires that um, were close calls that could have been NIOSH reports, but weren't. Um, they there either nobody was uh, certainly nobody was killed, but maybe nobody was even injured in these fires. In fact, I don't think anybody was injured in the fires that we present to you, but they could have easily gone really bad, but they didn't. Um, so what could have what could we have done on those fires or in future fires to be more effective with the NASH five? And I think that that's that's really like when we hear the NIOSH five, we automatically say these are the things we want to avoid. But right. there, like you said, the the counters to them are the things we want to embrace, engage and leverage. So, you know, right away, rather than talking about what the NIOSH five are, let's talk about their counterpoints. We want to ensure we have adequate and ongoing risk assessment. We want to make sure our communication is clear, concise and consistent. We want proper command and company proper command and company accountability, tactical accountability. Yep. It's, it's one thing to just have a roster, but I want to know where my people were, where they are and where they're going next. You know, that hands-on, eyes-on accountability. Yep. It is not just a roster. Uh, proper <clears throat> ICS scope, function, that means a, a good span of control, manageable span of control, division of labor, and institutionalizing positive things. You know, we talk about PIAs. We always look at PIAs. What can we do better? There, if we're doing things good through your PIA, identify the things that went well and institutionalize them, embrace yeah. them, engage them, put them into SOPs. If, if, if things are, if you have a group that is seemingly to do the right thing in a series of times, if it's good for that shift or that battalion, then it should be department wide uh, institutionalized. So yeah. that's kind of the, the angle that we went with is, is to positive risk assessment, clear, concise communications, accountability beyond a roster and a, and a tag board, uh, good incident came in and SOPs. Yeah. And so let's talk about how do we achieve those? <clears throat> and, and we have to realize, like we said at the beginning, ICS is a team sport. This is called the command show. So we're going to talk about how does incident command enhance all these things, uh, civilian rescue and preventing the Nash five at the same time. And so again, Incident command is a team sport, which means what? You have to train the team before the event. So we have the technology now to record and review our, our fires like never before. Now, when I was doing it, I just had a dash cam. There were, weren't even helmet cams when I started doing it. Then all of a sudden, the helmet cams came out. The GoPros came out. Now we can see the same fire from multiple different locations, high def. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of fire departments are still afraid. I talked to students from classes all over the country. Oh, our fire department uh, has a policy. We can't use videos. It's, what? That yeah. is the best training tool you can possibly have. So absent that, having There's everyone a lot on the of people that can't learn without a video. Nowadays, <laughs> nowadays, yeah, exactly. So, so let's go. Let's talk first about improper and inadequate risk assessment. How does using ICS help you? Well, using ICS means I have have division of group supervisors in place around the incident. Maybe just two of them. Doesn't have to be twenty of them. Um, the balance between using my company officers for that tactical role versus the task function of stretching lines and, and doing a search and helping their crew. Obviously, that's that's the balancing act. Um, however, the investment of just one or two company officers can provide huge dividends in all five of the NASH five. So with inadequate risk assessment, <clears throat> I most of the time, even on the front side of a building, can't see the whole thing. I can't see the whole fire, the whole building, all the conditions at once. I can't be omnipresent or omnipotent. And as, many, as much as many fire chiefs think they're a god, you're not. And so you can't be omnipresent. Yeah. So <clears throat> conversely, you have crews that are inside the building doing task level functions, stretching lines, forcing doors, cutting holes, inside zero visibility. They don't have situational awareness either. So the tactical gap that is formed between the IC and the task level crews can be very, very vast, and the NASH 5 start to fall into it. So you have now a division supervisor who can see what you, as the IC, don't see, what the crews don't see. They can see pending flashover. They can see vent point ignition. They can see um, bilateral flow. They can see potential collapse before anybody else does because they're in that tactical space. Localized, yeah. And that's, that's the risk assessment piece. And they're in what we call mentally the next. They're thinking, what's going to happen next? What do I want to do next? Hey, that thing's going to come down any minute, and that's going to flash any second. And next, I want to either vent it, put more water in it, or get them out. And that's things that are happening 
simultaneously, perhaps on the back and the front and the, and the roof or whatever that the IC can't possibly do. And then, you know, to add to that, the company officer is the best assessor of their people. And when we go to Dodson's stuff or any of the safety officer, it's, it's, it's read your building, read your conditions and read your firefighters, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's why it's called risk assessment. It's not called size up. We have to take a look at all those things. I mean, yeah. those people in those situations, those hands on eyes on supervisors are observing their firefighters as well. Real time. We, you can be in the chief's bug and be like, man, I, they should be making progress. But that <laughs> yeah, that, that, that division yeah. supervisor at the front door or at the back door, like, I, you know, I was like, man, why aren't you guys? I know they're trying. I can see that they're trying. Something else isn't isn't working here. You know, so you're you're are in that localized size up, but you're also reading your people, seeing that they're getting frustrated. Like something's not working here. We can learn a lot just as much from smoke conditions or building as we can body language, right. you know, and that that's a yeah. critical read of, of the yeah. risk assessment. Are, is this guy going to be successful yeah. or not, or gal or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I, let's not forget that part of the risk assessment is, yeah. is the people's performance and, 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 and progress. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, yeah. As you're talking, I'm thinking about uh, what I want to say next, because I don't value <laughs> what you have to say. So um, <laughs> thank you so, very much. Brian uh, is out. Okay. No, I, I was thinking about, um, a good friend of mine, he's one of my instructors and he's a battalion chief where I used to work um, in my former battalion, different shift, but he's getting a lot of work and we talk all the time. And, you know, he was on a commercial fire maybe a couple of months ago and he saw uh, a man, unsupported master on a strip mall fire and they were, they were pontificating, oh, should they go in? And he was like, no, they shouldn't go in. As they were having the conversation, the master came down. Yeah. That's risk assessment. Yeah. Um, he was also on a, another fire where crews were trying to go into a house fire um, in bad weather conditions that was known to be vacant, boarded up, and, and it was an external fire, outside in fire. And they were going into and underneath and around hazardous materials and under um, roofing and, and things that were just unstable. And, and he grabbed me and said, what are you guys doing? <laughs> what are you, well, I want to get some. Yeah. You know, and it's like, no, I'll be your brain. And your brain yeah. says, stop. Yeah. So those are, the, those are the aspects of risk assessment that are huge. So the next one is let's communication. Uh-huh. If I have a division of group soup, I don't have to talk on the radio. Yeah. Okay. Now it means there's not zero communication. It means there's a lot less communication, but it's for two reasons. People think, well, they're just having face-to-face conversations, which is true. But it's also because that division of group soup can see what's going on. They see, hey, I don't need to, the IC doesn't have to ask for an update. Because they trust the division Charlie supervisor, for example, to see what's going on in the back. And if I, as as division C, can see that conditions are improving, I don't have to ask how's it going. Yeah. And if I, if I as the IC know you're back there, I don't have to ask you how it's going because yeah. I trust you. So those are exponential. Plus, when my crews do come out, I'm talking to them face to face. And so that really reduces communication. And you get into that position where you can hold information too. When you when you are actively working you you rush your communication because you're like i'm doing this i gotta tell them so you right. you rush the communication so you can get right back to work they may say hey primary's done we're checking for extension you know you've got that now you're just right. kind of you're you you've confirmed if the chief asks for it but you may just kind of wait until you can see there's a there's a, a space here for me to communicate that i mean we have that primary complete or, or those types of things it, it definitely cleans up the, the fire ground communication with that, you know, the clear, concise, having a common language. I mean, we, 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 we know even in a department, a lot of times there isn't common language on the term. There's, yeah. there's, 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 yeah. there's accents, there's a B-shift <laughs> accent, you know, just has different uh, B-shift swaggers, doesn't have but, the radios on it. You know, but. I think we need to have clear benchmarks. Like I, these are the, like you, you guys may say it in your style, but these are the benchmarks I want to know about right. fire under control in our organization. It's a 1040. we got a 1040. Um, you know, primary complete, loss stopped, starting overhaul. These, what are the things we really want to hear from you? Because otherwise they could just be sending out information until we yeah, grab arbitrary. what we want to hear. Yeah, from and that's one of the things we teach is, hey, as a division of groups, tactical supervisor, you only should be saying certain key things to the yeah. incident commander. Like you said, loss stopped, um, primary complete. Not every little thing. Oh, engine one's going to the right. And engine one has having a good day. And engine one had breakfast earlier today. And they're doing great. And Benchmark. By the yeah. by the way, the uh, house is yellow. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself. How about you, Chief? You know, it's like, <laughs> shut up. And and just let the let the uh, incident play out. Let there be some room. Um, let's talk about accountability. 
you mentioned it earlier, eyes on, hands on, active accountability. Yeah. That's a much better tool than the best command chart or command board or command suitcase. Not that those are bad. There's a lot of great vendors here this week selling some great stuff. Yeah. The division of group supervisor can in real time see where their people are, what they're doing, and and anticipate their movement. Yeah. Um, while the IC is behind them, shoring up their accountability as well. And it's it like again the accountability. Almost a lot of fire grounds, you know exactly who's working for who. Like that's solved at dispatch. You know, it is the where they're working, how they're working, what they've done, you know, because again, accountability, if I know where they were, where they're at and where they're going, the potential for duplication of efforts, wasted labor, all these types of things is going to be handled, you know, yeah. so that and from the chief's buggy, a lot of times you can't tell where they're at or what they're doing. So. Uh, definitely that hands-on, eyes-on yeah. accountability is important. Yeah. Yeah. And the you Brian can see Brush, that right the now. Brian Brush the Brian Brush Fan Club just arrived. The, the Midwest City hecklers. Firefighters Accountability Club is here. Yeah, a yes. bunch of hecklers. Yes. yes. So, so, well, we should oh, have. Now, yeah, now that she's yeah. putting the camera, they're, <laughs> they're running away. Cowards. Yeah. Cowards. A lot of you. <clears throat> so, um, and so the next piece is. Is command, and that's, yep. that's just simply using ICS and divisions and groups. Yeah, uh, which you know we'll we'll talk about, like we talk about in the book in the team format. The most recent uh, issue or, or edition of NFPA seventeen ten talks about two members assigned to incident command. It doesn't say yeah. incident command in a safety officer. It doesn't say incident command in a division. Or they allow you the freedom to do that. But when you have an IC and and just a safety officer or a scribe, you've done nothing to reduce the span of control because yeah. you're supervising that person. Yeah. So what you're you're getting at is whether we're using functional groups of fire attack and rescue or uh, IC and the division, the, the key point to having two members committed to incident command is to reduce that span of control and make it more manageable. It, it, we still use incident command interchangeable, but you look at the big scope, it's it's really incident management. How am I managing resources, the yeah. division of labor? So um, the team sport concept to incident command is beyond just your idea. We're seeing it in standards that that, that incident command, that it's the incident management team. You know, like Hold we, on a second. You said it's not about me. Yeah, I didn't create. Yeah. The, I didn't create all the perfect things in the world. But we know this. Keep from, talking. I'm we, listening. We know this from incident management teams. You know, we 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 know type three incidents, type two incidents, type one incidents have incident management teams, even down to the apartment fires. Basically, anything beyond a single story, single family with just a room and contents should be managed by a team because you have exposures, well, yeah. you have extension. So even that should be, you know, like you said, formally IMTs or type one, two, three. Um, I was on a type one team for four years, learned a ton about ICS and saw the potential, but then scaled it to the structural arena. Yeah. That's all we're doing here. One and, division or one group. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not going to have a food unit or a finance <laughs> sector or um, section on a house fire. Um, however, divisions and groups make a hell of a lot of difference. And um, you can't have a type four or type five incident management team. Yeah. The type four incident management team is one alarm. Type yeah. two or type uh, four incident management team is multi-alarm. Yeah. Pretty simple. Um, and it works. And when, when I, as an officer, company officer, know I might be the IC for a little bit. I might be task level or I might be tactical. It gives me um, a set of expectations and a sense, an ability to be agile enough to um, to look at what's, what the incident's doing, what the chief's expecting, and where I fit in. Mm. And maybe even make recommendations. Hey, chief, yeah. recommend you make me Division Charlie. we got a lot going on back here. Yeah. That's that's the teamwork right there. Yeah. So let's let's close out. We've got about five to ten minutes left. Let's talk about our book. Well, it's exciting. You forgot the fifth one, SOPs. Oh, whatever. So the last <laughs> one, SOPs. And you know, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to this. You know, we, we, brought, we, we have been a, a blue card department for a long time. Um, we, we saw some evolution in, in the, in the world out there and we brought chief Castro's in to do calm the chaos for us and, and really advanced our, uh, incident command approach to, uh, very much our firefighting style, you know, not a, not a delayed or a staged or type program, but front loading the incident with engine truck and, and getting, getting to work very quickly. But 
from that class using our train the trainers uh, we we put them to work what did we see value in this how do we want to approach it okay now we're going to institutionalize it we're going to bring those things into our sops yeah. our tactics we're bringing ul information into our sops and sogs and and i think that um as you know kind of tough and rough as it is to sit down and evaluate your sops they they are the scripts of success for your organization it is yeah. the the two minute offense that we need to go yeah. to. So, yeah. so let's dial those in and, yeah. and they are critical because lack of expectations will guarantee that you will fail to meet expectations. Yeah. You know, you're either going to be successful by luck or you're going to fail to meet expectations. The SOPs, SOGs are our expectations and considerations. Yeah. They're the script and they're the playbook. And, you know, I love the analogy of a football team. We have a playbook, we have game film with the reviews that we do. Um, but we can call an audible. Yeah. I need, I need my company officers to call an audible. Yeah. Hey chief, we're back here. It looks, we can't do X or Y. We need to do Z. Okay. Yeah. I'll support that. Um, so it is important. And those, those, uh, templates we talked about, those are SOGs, yeah. you know, command templates for a house fire, this for uh, a power fire, this garden style versus center hall. Um, and then also one of the things we talk about is the ICS formula, which could kind of be an SOG. Yeah. The building, the conditions, and the resources. What kind of building do I have? Layout, size, scope, mm -hmm. use, era. Um, what are the conditions? Heavy fire, uh, light smoke, victims or not, exposures. Yeah. And then resources. Yeah. Do I have the world coming? Do I have, am I rural? Am I a combination department? Am I a volunteer department? Because a lot of people think this stuff is just for career uh, departments or departments with a lot of resources. It's not. We've taught these classes all over the country, including rural volunteer departments that don't have a lot of resources or staffing. Yeah. Um, so with that, we have been blessed to um, come into an agreement with uh, Fire Engineering to write a, com a command book. And it's going to be basically uh, Mastering Fire Ground Command Calm to Chaos in a textbook. And so it's going to be really robust. Um, we've been working on it now for about six months. And it's going to be coming to you out here at FDIC in 2024. So it takes the DVD series, if you're familiar with that. It takes the online class, Calm the Chaos, if you're familiar with that, or the Train the Trainer that we've been doing around the nation. Uh, and it puts it into a textbook. It's a hugely um, valuable resource to augment whatever training is going on out there. Um, so we've done this with departments all around the nation. We talked about Oklahoma City with your department, Midwest City. We recently did Miami, Florida. Uh, we've been doing it um, quite a bit and we're excited to have this book. And the reason for the book is because you convinced me to ask my wife if I can <laughs> do this permission. book because she's my IC. I'm not, a, I think I'm logistics. Yeah. I think, I think I'm a base camp manager. Yeah. You know, I, I, have, I have the toilets. I suck the toilets. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, she knows and I know the work it takes to write a book and yep. it is, uh, it's like having a child. <laughs> There's an incubation period of nine months. There's the, birth pains of getting it done and then you have to raise it and, and so um i uh i asked you to help yeah and so you agreed and here we are and so let's talk about our book a little bit before we knock it out well i mean it's uh you, you know the, the core was there the the calm the chaos the the command your experience uh your 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 knowledge uh the assessment center approach i mean just everything was already there um, I, me as a training guy, uh, in a training division for a department that's adopted this, I, I needed a, a tangible reference point and, uh, that's what the book needs. And then what I'm contributing, you know, not necessarily the experience side of it, but what I'm contributing is, is, the, is the model that we need, uh, we need a command textbook that lines up with the, the new expectations of NFPA 1700. Yep. Uh, we need a, a textbook that has real-time UL tactical considerations uh, of today in search, ventilation, fire attack. We need something that's consistent with the FESHI model so, yep. that, so that it can be used to support higher education. We're trying to professionalize the fire service yep. in a lot of ways and not saying that, that previous text lacked anything you know there, there there is great text out there but if we're going to do it this way um you know i i want to put it in a format that's going to support as many educational and training programs as, yeah. as we possibly can not just maybe a, a member's personal development which it is that is in that textbook but we we want to have a, a a greater reach yeah institutional development yeah, yeah. This, this textbook will be utilized for developing sogs driving tactics operations and um for college and, and, and other standards and so forth. And so we're excited. 
Um, we're also blessed to have a lot of uh, our colleagues join us, so many of whom people don't know. They're not household or yeah. fire household names. Um, we have been uh, blessed to have uh, Chief uh, John Norman write the forward for us. Yeah. We have other people that, uh, like Joe Castro from yeah. LA City Fire Department, who's kind of the West Coast John Norman. Yeah. He's going to contribute. Um, Chief McGrail. Chief McGrail, uh, Chief Lieb, Dave yeah. Dodson. Yeah. Um, so we have a mixture of FDNY, LA City, and everybody in between, yeah. small and large, including Oklahoma City and, and many others, and, and they, they contribute their experiences. There's been a lot of Sentinel fires over the past just few years. Um, the ghost ship fire in Oklahoma, in Oakland, California, for example. Um, some of these Sentinel fires uh, are going to be discussed by the incident commanders in the book. And so they're contributing some of these case studies for us. So we're really thankful for that. I'll close with this. Um, the online version of Come to Chaos has been out for about a year now. It's going great. Um, we have departments all over the country subscribing. So if you're interested, please email me at info at trainfirefighters.com or just visit trainfirefighters.com and, and look and see what it's about. The um, first module. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the best. Yeah. The, the, it's a free first module hour of training about a rescue. And I mean, it's take just take the class it's available it's yeah. awesome yeah. thanks brother yeah. so let us know if you want uh, to get some subscriptions for your department or better yet have us come out and do hands-on training we're doing hands-on command training not just simulations but actually um engine and truck companies smoke machines mannequins everyone's on air scbas and fully turned out and uh they're sweating and they're learning how to apply ics in a combat environment speaking of combat we also have some military folks helping us with this book to really better apply the military models of decentralization to incident command. So, And if you're at FDIC, please come on Thursday. Thursday. To uh, the keynote will be around 9.05. We're going to talk about unquenchable faith, and I'm pretty dang excited about it. <laughs> and I would appreciate someone being in the room to see it other than I'll be there because he will heckle. If, if, if I got, I got, a, I got a, a bag of uh, old tomatoes that are already rotting with <laughs> flies and maggots. And I'm just going to right now. Um, and then we have our class in the afternoon. Yep, Thursday, uh, 1.30. Yeah. Yep. Then I've got one follow, following that one. Um, so if you're here and you're listening, come check us out. Yep. God bless you, those you serve, those you lead, and your precious families. And God bless the fire service. Thanks, everybody. Thank you guys very much.